listening to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention podcast. Um, today, we have uh, Khalid. Khalid? Am I saying it yeah, right? Khalid is fine. Uh, okay. Any, um, any variance is fine with me. <laughs> from uh, Alluvium with us. Uh, Alluvium is a, you guys are working on a new open world RPG that's kind of built on uh, the Ethereum blockchain, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Which is, is super fun. And then, uh, man, y- y- you've been starting game companies and, and startups and stuff for, for a long time, like a true serial entrepreneur like myself. So I, I, I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's not often that I see people like you. I see a lot of people in the industry where like you've got, you know, you've been working at the big companies for a long time and everyone kind of has this like secret aspiration of starting their own studio and having like the total creative outlets and stuff. But, you know, very few totally make that jump, but like you, you just, you know, dove right in and and doing it again and again. So uh, this is super awesome to see. Um, But yeah, you know, before we dive into everything, I always kind of like to ask, like, you know, what's the story of of Khalid? Um, How did you, you know, get into gaming? How did you end up where you are today? So first of all, like, it's funny that you said that, you know, I had to start by starting my own company because I'm kind of forced to do that, you know, given that I'm from Kuwait. So we don't have, you know, the luxury of working in a big uh, company or a AAA studio. So if I wanted to work in games, I had to start my own thing. Uh, so what <laughs> happened with me was that by my brother, my big brother is a serial entrepreneur. He started multiple businesses and was very successful. And it was at 2012, 2011, when, you know, Supercell just came out and you know, it was like a big news that, a game was making around half a million a day. At that time, it was like crazy. So he rang me up. He said, look, Khaled, this looks like very promising. You've, you've been playing games all your life. How about we start something? I said, okay, why not? At the time, I had my company. Like we were doing some supplements and I had some problem with the government and things like that. So it was like an escape to me. <laughs> and we, we took that very long learning curve. You know, it's like it's extremely steep. It's been like around 10 years, like or nine years since I started in the game development, but that was the actual stuff. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And so that was, was that the, the Conroid one that you started first? Yeah, exactly. So at that point we had like zero experience and we needed to do a game. So obviously like at that time, you know, a runner felt like very comfortable and doable. So we started with that. We hit a lot of walls, you know, learned about development, whatnot. And then I slew, like my background is accounting, by the way. So at that time I noticed that, oh, okay. In order to make money, we need to make, you know, like LTV needs to be higher than the cost per install and things like that. I started yeah. to learn these little details. Then it turned me into mid-core games. And then it's like I dove there, you know, for maybe six years working on like build and battle games, trying to make it work. You know, we had like a, I wouldn't say like a major success or like a minor success even, but we, we had like some, some, some good improvements along the year. You know, like our products kept getting better and better and better and better. And <laughs> the funding good. kept getting more and more and more. <laughs> Uh, yeah, until until now, like I'm kind of, uh, I wouldn't say like taking a break, but uh, I'm very interested in, in, the, in the play to earn model, you know, and I, I wanted to dive head first. So I decided to join Illuvium and it looks like a very promising uh, project. They got a good team behind them. So, yeah. yeah. So, so I'm, I don't know if I'm like old school, but I'm still pretty like hesitant about the whole play to earn thing. Um, like it's sort of wearing on me a little bit, but like. I still yeah. don't fully just like get it all. And, 
and maybe part of like me not getting it and and let's just like approach it from a finance standpoint of like okay if you're giving away all this stuff like how are you actually like making money and stuff so i'm you know more from like an economical standpoint of like i like to very clearly understand what is the business model you know how how do the dollars exchange hands such that you can afford to pay your you know salaries and keep you know (laughs) making games and stuff so um, that's, that's probably been my, my biggest, like, I just don't quite get it, um, question around play to earn. So, um, bear with me. I'm a dummy, but I'm open to learning no, no, and sure, sure. Super, super excited to dive into things today. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. tell me, tell me about play to earn. Like, like, what does that actually mean to you? Okay. So, so let me first say that I was a, a like a non-believer a couple of months ago. Okay. So I was, I was big and, and like into free to play and I'm a free to play guy. Okay, uh, all I used to see was LTV higher than CPI, then you can make money. That's all I used to see. This is what made sense to me. Yeah, that makes sense to me you too. <laughs> and and honestly, like blockchain games seem to me as VR games. You know, I'm also like a non-believer with VR for, for VR games. Uh, I think they are very unpractical as they are now, and I don't think they add much value, you know, more than novelty. So I used to see it as something like that, like a gimmick, maybe something that is not really necessary. But after, like I saw what happened to Axie Infinity, you know, the, the crazy numbers, the crazy amount of players that are coming in, you know, play to earn seems like it's a good vehicle to drive, uh, you know, user acquisition. It, it made perfect sense. So initially, like paid games, you need to pay to play. Okay, then free to play came in and it was a good vehicle to bring in users. Play to earn is now an even bigger vehicle to bring in users, you know. So here it clicked. Now, how does it work? Like how the economics work exactly? Okay, here, no one figured it out still. Uh, people are just, you know, assuming things. Uh, obviously, like the, the model that is in Axie Infinity where uh, the money is coming from new users, therefore everyone is assuming that this is not sustainable. I agree with that, but it, this is not the only way. And I don't think like uh, we should judge the entire play to earn model uh, using this, you know, example, basically. So, uh, yeah. you know, I, I think Axie is very interesting and like they have been getting a lot of users in and stuff, but, and, and this could be, but my understanding is like over 70% of their users are these uh, scholars that people have kind of footed the, the cost for them to get in. And now they're basically playing the game to make money. And it almost seems like they're treating the game more as like a job than necessarily a game. Um, and it, it seems like they're starting to hit some economical like issues where like they've got too much SLP that's out there. They've got too many, you know, animals. And so the, the SLP price is like decreasing, which makes the amount of money that you make for the time that you spend playing to be less. And it, it seems like they're starting to like hit some thresholds and stuff. So, you know, it, it makes sense in terms of like bringing players in, but like, it, is it actually a, a long-term financial, financially stable model with this like play to earn? Because a lot of those users that you're bringing in, aren't they just trying to make money? And I feel like if you've got too many of those and you don't have people to actually sell stuff to, like, you, you know, you got a supply demand issue. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So so now what, what I'm going to say, I might be making stuff up, okay? But it's like now I think we, we are allowed to, you know, given the state of the market, we could just assume things. So what I think is like, depending on new users as a source of, of money coming in is fine, but it shouldn't be the sole, 
you know source of money coming in so uh, what i think is happening is that if you have a game that has tons of users that are there to make money then that is uh, would you know be a very good environment to get whales in honestly like whales would want to come into a game that has a lot of users okay and they want to you know just like do do their thing basically they wouldn't want to go to a game that doesn't have a lot of users so i think these two things balance each other out now okay how could we get enough money from whales to sustain all of these play to earn players that, that's the question so uh i think that whales should aspire to to collect certain things maybe nfts you know like they could invest money given that whatever they are investing on is assets or are assets that they could later sell so i think that would make them spend you know i think magnitudes like higher than what they would spend on a free-to-play game because on a free-to-play game you might spend you know for fun or, or just you know to 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 spend time but in a play-to-earn game no you're spending to to acquire like a, as an investment basically so here it's like a whale could be defined in a, in a, in a very different way than what a whale is in free-to-play games so i think what Axie failed to do right now is that to how could they monetize the whales to their fullest potential you know they don't have enough sinks i could just buy the the, the most powerful axes and i could just sit and enjoy my, my ride <laughs> right yeah yeah um hmm, that's interesting um so you're kind of doing this uh, open world rpg so I, i'm gonna think a little bit we're gonna go back back to the future um yeah as we'll get there um and you know you think about diablo too and like i i know i've heard about um you know guys that ran a bunch of bots in college that were making like eighty thousand dollars a year off of these basically like automated uh you know diablo selling items uh websites and stuff that they ran yeah um now you think about that and obviously like i think most people that played diablo 2 did not play it with the sole aspiration of making money um, they played it because they really enjoyed the game and they wanted to build a certain character with certain items to be like super powerful and like beat the, the final bosses and do all the stuff. Um, in order to get those though, like, especially when you're talking about like the, the high runes in Diablo that had like, what, like one in 10 million drop chance or something like that for like the top ones. And it's just like, basically impossible for a single person that's endlessly playing to even have a chance of finding all the stuff that they need. Um, and so, you know, Diablo basically had this like almost forced trading economy where like, you'd have to spend a lot of time magic finding and hopefully you'd get lucky enough that you find something that's a value that you can trade and make a few trades or whatnot to finally get those items or things that you need. And it took a lot of time. And so, you know, for the people that were running the bots where, okay, it costs me maybe some setup fees and then $20 to buy the, uh, you know, new CD key or something. And then I can run a bunch of bots. And if I find these items that I sell for, you know, a dollar or $5 each or something like that, and I find a few of those items per day or even more, like I can recoup and, and have a pretty, pretty solid investment back. Um, and it's basically you, you trade, getting those items faster or the time that it would take. And in some cases, yeah. not even possible to do that. Um, 
but you know, I don't know that that's necessarily correlates that directly to like a play to earn mantra, or, or do you think that it does? I, I think it should. Like, are you, are you talking about like, should I invest some money to, 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 you know, improve my, my mechanism of acquiring, you know, more money basically? Well, no, I'm just, I'm just trying to like find like a real world example so that I can wrap my head around this whole phenomenon. Yeah. Or is it basically like, Hey, if Diablo two resurrected was play to earn on a blockchain, um, every item is going to be validated and people that are playing some of them are probably going to be whales and just want these super powerful characters and not have time. And then other yeah. char- people that are playing are going to have lots of time and they're going to find these items. And then they're basically just going to sell them. Um, and because blizzard doesn't have like a free to play mantra, they're just going to take, let's say five or 10% of those sales directly. And so all this transaction volume ends up, you know, churning a pretty good amount of dollars for, you know, blizzard behind the scenes. Um, yeah. Is that kind of the, the whole premise of play to earn? It, it, it does. Like this one, actually, this example does exist in two places. So one is the, the, the initial start of Diablo 3, where there was a real money auction house. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing for me. It was amazing. But the problem that introduced a lot of issues because the game, you know, wasn't built for that. So right. it, it didn't, didn't last long. And uh, this also exists with Path of Exile in, in, the, in the start of a season, basically, where they use like a chaos orb, which is basically like a currency there, you know, and, and you have like a full-fledged market. And you can see uh, in the beginning of the season, the item prices might be very high, you know, even if you transfer it into dollars. And then as the season go, the, the prices drop so steeply, you know. So here it's because the, the items that are in the economy, they could never go down. They could only go up. So that's a problem. The same thing is happening with Axie Infinity. The number of Axies just keeps going up. <laughs> you know, no, so if, if the number of players goes down, then the number of Axies, two players would be a lot higher than before. Therefore, the price would drop. You know, so yeah. I think a game that has such a model will not work unless you put a mechanism in place that would suck, like take everything out of the economy or not everything, but like unused things, basically. You know, I'm assuming like characters would die in yeah. the game. Mm. Uh, items would get destroyed. That would be a very healthy economy for a play to earn game. Yeah. Do you think that um, it's more of just issues in their economy design? Like, you know, maybe axes should only be good for this many battles, or, you know, they have too many breeds that are available, or, you know, or is it all kind of speculation or should Axie really live within this idea of like seasons? And at the start of a season, SLP is probably going to jump back up in price because everything else was like wiped out before. Or can you even do that? Because technically SLP and uh, your, I forget the other, the AXS coin, like live in this, you know, external wallet. Like, can you even do some sort of seasons with, you know, coins like that? I think seasons won't work because inherently like the, the, the precious thing about NFTs is that I want the ownership, you know, I want to own it forever. So I don't think making season and, you know, just deleting everything off, I don't think it would be a good idea. But I think putting some optional things to do such a thing would be good. Like, for example, imagine I could I could just sacrifice an Axie to get some some type of currency that I could be able to use in a consumable way. Let's say re-rolling one of the Axie's properties. 
you know something like that so therefore you give like an infinite amount of 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 uh what do you call it like a a place for whales to dump their money you know i will go buy all the floor price for the axes i will sacrifice them all and create this mega ultimate taxi you know so imagine how much money i could spend by doing that yeah you know so i'm i'm hitting two two birds in one stone i'm 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 cleaning up all all this you know uh, axes that are in the market that are not used and i'm also uh, funneling in money in the economy Mm. So you would need treatments such as these things to make sure that your economy is is evergreen, basically. Yeah. Do you need to have some sort of like massively, like almost infinite type of a sink? Like, you know, I think I'm just on Diablo 2 right now, but, you know, in in Diablo 2, they had this concept of gambling and crafting, which uh, not a lot of people would engage in. Uh, but gambling, sometimes you could get these super, super rare like circlets or uh, amulets that would have like a ton of resistance and levels and strength and all this stuff that like were beyond even like the most powerful unique items, but they were just like ultra, ultra rare. And they were like the most expensive games or items in the game because they were so rare. Um, and But, you know, you could spend an infinite amount of like gold, which is pretty meaningless and easy to collect, but um, you know, you could basically just like infinitely spend same thing with like the crafting items. Like you could find as many gems as you want and you could basically like sink over and over and over again. Um, And maybe eventually you would find something like that. But um, is it important to have that level of sync? So like in the, in the case of axes, like do they need to have these like ultra rare powers that, you know, could come from this idea of like sacrificing an axie to like reroll the stats or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, the way that I see it is that uh, the deeper the sink is, the like, the more uh, a whale could like, or, or the more the whale could sustain a bigger uh, play to earn audience, basically. So this is the way that, that that I see it. So, if if uh, assuming you cannot attract like this you know, mega whale uh, or someone who is willing to spend that much money, then it's 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 good to have a sink that could, uh, you know, uh, self-adjust itself, you know. Like the way that I'd like to design economies is, is the more sinks you put in, the more it will self-adjust itself. You know, it's like a kind of way to bulletproof your way out of it. So the more, the better. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't want as much, you know, sinks, unless, unless they would, you know, just break the power curve. So... Mm. If you can put things that don't break the power curve, that don't require a lot of content, then that's amazing. Put as mm. much as, as as you can. So thinking about play to earn, and and this is probably going to be a generalization that should not cross any sort of thing, but um, yeah. does it make sense? So I, I have heard someone say, hey, here's the cool thing about play to earn. I can sell the players a sword for $10, and then that player can turn around and sell it again. And that player can sell it. And each time I take a dollar from each transaction. And so it could get sold a thousand times. And I end up with making a thousand and ten dollars off of this sword that I would have sold one time. Um, yeah. You know, does it make sense to have that sort of in-app purchase free to play mindset where like you sell the thing initially? whether it's a loot box or, you know, something other, and then allow the players to then go on and like resell those items where you take a portion of that. Like, is that like the core definition of the economy or uh, is it better to be more on the, Hey, 
you can play this game and throughout this, let's say open world RPG, you can occasionally find these maybe ultra rare items and then you can turn around and you sell it for whatever value it is. We're going to take a cut of that. That player that gets it could ultimately resell it and we take the cut of it, but we don't take that initial kind of finder's fee for, for rolling it or am I kind of yeah, off yeah. base and how I think about it? No, so so uh, like initially, like let me give you an example. Like once I, I looked at Axia, I thought that the, the majority of the revenue would come in from the marketplace fee, which is like a, around 4.5 or 4.25% out of any transaction that is happening in their marketplace. Yeah. But after I, I dug into that, it turns out that maybe, I don't know, 90% or 95% of the revenue is coming from breeding fees. So the marketplace is, is almost like not, nothing significant at all, hmm. you know? So that was very interesting. That was very interesting. So it told, like, but obviously you would need a mix of both, okay? But I, I, I would assume that a big chunk of revenue would come in from minting. So creating these NFTs from zero, you know? And, and if you can have a way like to make these uh, NFTs, as I said before, like uh, disappear or, or I don't know, something, something happens to them, you know? It, it would be better because you would encourage more minting. Mm. So... Yeah, so I, I think minting is is the the bulk of the revenue where, where it will come from. I think it's from minting, but also like look, this is this is a a, a bit of a weird topic for me. But uh, when you're working on a play to earn game, you're not really just trying to maximize revenue, not like free to play games. You have another aspect which is you are trying to maximize your token uh, price basically. So that's another thing that you need to keep keep an eye on. So uh, if your in-app purchases or, or whatever type of monetization also requires players to spend these tokens, then it would also drive the price up. So it's also another thing to, to, to keep in mind. You know, you're trying to maximize your token price. So how could you do that? And how could you incorporate it into the game to, to basically like, uh, you know, increase the demand on the token? Yeah, that's actually a good question of something that I've kind of been wondering about a little bit of, you know, it seems like you don't actually make that much money uh, directly from the game um, in the sense of like, okay, for a free to play game, if I send you a $10 item, I keep $7 of it after, you know, Apple takes their cut. Um, I mean, I have $7 that I can use to pay salaries and server costs and things like that. Um, in the case of like this marketplace approach where I'm taking that, you know, 10% or 5% or whatever it is cut, of that sale that's happening, typically I'm taking it in the form of my cryptocurrency and I've got this like cryptocurrency. So like, how do you actually balance keeping that liquid enough that you've got funds to be able to like pay salaries and stuff like that? Um, it seems like a lot of them are just raising crazy amounts of money exactly. and, and not taking it off, but like that doesn't feel like a good economic model for me long-term, like I can't understand it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think I'm not sure if a company reached that point yet, to be honest. Like, I think most of them are just, you know, like, let's raise funds, let's raise funds and, and so on. But I, I think it, 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 you need to sell in, in the end of the day. You need to sell tokens uh, enough to, to, to self-sustain your, your studio. But what I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical about one thing, which is like uh, distributing or acting uh, like uh, distributing part of the revenue on the governance token, which is what is currently like the most popular thing to do. Uh, which is, uh, you know, trying to, to push the token toward uh, uh, behaving as a stock, mm -hmm. uh, which does give it value, 
but I think the majority of the value would come in if uh, games started to use their token uh, within their, 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 their game or their application. I think here where the biggest bulk of the value would, would come to it. I could be mistaken. I'm not sure. I'm just still researching this topic. But I think if Axie's marketplace started using uh, their Axie token instead of Ethereum, I think that would 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 play a big role in in, in playing like or driving the price of uh, the AXS uh, price. I think, you know, I think it's it's a play of balancing things. Uh, you know, deciding to to would like a revenue share model or or a profit share model. I'm not too sure about that. I'm a bit skeptical, to be honest. Yeah. No, that that makes sense. Yeah, I, I don't know if you guys have gotten that far to figuring it out, but I'm I'm very curious. Like, you know, it, and if you blended the two, like I could make sense. Like, if you built, let's say, a free-to-play open-world RPG where your monetization from the get-go is primarily based off of like, let's say, making the gotcha pull on the loot boxes, like pretend you emulate uh, Genshin Impact. Which I'm, I'm not saying like they've got some economic problems and stuff in there, but seems to work yeah. pretty well right um so let's let's say yeah. you emulate that and and you're you're making the cash off of those initial payments but once i've made those pulls i now own these characters and i now own the swords and stuff like that um i can then go and sell those on the marketplace for crypto in this sense um yeah. and then you know you could keep that and so it's almost like you've got two dual revenue streams where like you're stocking up on the crypto that you could unload or sell at one point, but then you're also getting that like in-app purchase flow in that you can use to keep the lights on and stuff like that. So I don't know. I, again, I, I just like to understand businesses in a way where it's like, this goes to this goes to this. And, you know, we've got profits and EBITDA and the business can continue to grow. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, so do you think that the, the next evolution is like, is play to earn really about the players and how much money they can make? Cause I, I think a lot of Axie players, like they come in because the top players are making over or were at one point able to make over double, like the average uh, daily wage in the Philippines. Um, so like, you know, do you think it makes sense to like keep an eye on that or is it better to focus more on let's make a really fun game that is going to bring in real players that are want to play the game for the sake of the funness of the game versus, you know, just making money on the side. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that, you know, we are reaching the end of the first phase, which is, you know, something basically you can call a game, you know, uh, that could have a lot of funding and could have some players. No, I think we're going to reach where a stage where it's like, no, we need to really think about fun. We need to really think about accessibility. Now it's like horrendous. So if you're gonna want to play any of these games, like you need to jump through hoops and do a lot of things, and then you could barely play whatever they call you know a game. Uh, I think I think no fun. Fun is very important. Uh, having a play to earn is just an aspect to be used as a user acquisition thing. And I think. A game should align, you know, the best way to make money should be the best way to, to play the game or should be the most fun way to play the game. You know, uh, I'm a game designer. I, I know that always you need to design your game that the, the, the best way to progress in the game should be the most fun way. So now we should also make it that the best way to make money should be the, also the most fun way to play the game. You know, so I think fun should be aligned with, with earning. 
definitely, definitely. And, and it would be a competitive advantage and we're going to see the differences between whatever is exi existing now and, you know, the, the experience uh, game developers, I think, soon. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. So um, one thing that, I mean, for anyone, and I, I'm, I'm curious if you've uh, ever done this, but have you ever, you know, maybe pushed untested config to production and, you know, tanked your economy for three days or uh, destroyed the game as back in for three hours. Um, so definitely like it happened to us before. Definitely it happened to us because like in all my companies, like we were very small teams, like four <laughs> and we used to take on like massive projects. Yep. Yeah. So it happens. And uh, I don't know, like usually Usually, like if it happens and you're open with the user and things like that, you know, at least to the because and you cannot sense all the user, but you can only sense what what is coming through the channels, communication channels, so whether it's through discords and emails and you know help shift and things like that. Uh, usually, they are very understanding. You know, I never found it like it's to be a disaster or a problem. Right, you know, right. Users are really understandable. Well, I mean, my my general experience is that uh, these things will happen, um, yeah. but I'm kind of curious from you know the economy standpoint of an in-app purchase-based game, like it can be bad on your economy, but yeah. you know, what happens with errors and how do you monitor and maintain your economy in a play to earn type game where like the, the stuff that you accidentally give away has significant or potentially significant, like real world value for players. Like, is, is it just something that you've got to like triple check and have extra monitoring for, or is it just kind of an unknown risk that we'll see what happens when somebody makes a big, you know, so pr probably they will not be as, as friendly <laughs> as the free to play games. I'm sure of that, that, but, uh, yes, yeah, like definitely need to put, uh, I don't know, like, uh, multiple layers of QA and it's not something, you know, and the updates won't be so quick, so fast as we see in free to play games. I think it is, it is much more uh, significant, but I, at the end of the day, I, I think it would be a good practice to, to isolate the game and the blockchain where it's like, you know, it's like you could play the game, do your thing, collect your stuff. And then if you want to move things to your wallet, then it's like a, an isolated step that you could disable and roll back the server if there is issues. I don't think it's a good idea to, you know, make, you know, like uh, playing the game and item drops and then you can just create it on the blockchain instantly. I don't think that would be good. And I'm not sure if it is possible now, but I think isolating is, is, is key. It's definitely, it's important. So switching gears just a little bit, um, what do you think, so, you know, games have really transitioned over the last 10 years from, you know, going back to Diablo, cause I can't get it out of my head apparently, but you know, you shipped Diablo one and then you worked on Diablo two and then you worked on Diablo three. And there was like a couple little like updates and patches in there, but like for the most part, the game team moved on to the next game. Right. Um, we don't really do that anymore. Right. We do games as a service. So ideally yeah. I release the one game and I'm continually pushing out more content and stuff. And, you know, it's great because games as a service, I have a more sustainable business where ideally the cost of producing new content is less than the additional revenue that I get in. And, you know, it's harder to find that hit game today than I think it was 10 years ago. Um, and once you have something like that, you want to keep your players around for the long term, Right. Um, and so really we get into this idea of live ops um, and, you know, live ops is like a top three issue at every studio. Um, what do you think live ops is going to look like 
within the world of play to earn or blockchain gaming? Like, is it going to be very similar to what we see in, you know, uh, free to play games today? Or do you think it's going to be something different because we have this play to earn type mechanic tied to things? Uh, I, I think it will be roughly similar. I don't see like any major reason to to not make it behave the same or make developers change. But I think the expectations of the player players in play two, and I think it would be, you know, like they would expect more. I think, especially with these like metaverses ideas that are getting thrown around uh, here and there. You know, I think it's players are expecting some big things, some massive things, and. We have yet to see like a real, I don't know, like a metaverse that is tangible that we could see it, we could play it, we could see the value. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I think it should be the, similar to free-to-play games. I think it should be similar. Uh, I don't see a reason why not. That's great. So for fellow entrepreneurs or thinking or folks that are thinking about you know starting something like this, you know, yeah, I I don't know how many like umpteen pictures I have seen lately um as an angel investor it just seems like everyone is throwing in blockchain and nfts like just to jump on the hype train um like you know i i was talking to one guy about a potential game that he had that he is an amazing artist and he made this like pond thing that was so beautifully tranquil and like the music and it was just so peaceful and i was like you should just turn this into a game because I feel like there are people that are just going to want to buy this thing on steam and just walk around this mystical world that you've created and just like relax and get away from things. Um, and you know, then he kind of got some advice from somebody else where it's like, Oh, well I had blockchain and NFT in my pitch and they just like threw money at me. Um, and so now now I look at his pitch and it's like this tranquil world. And then it's like, oh, and we're going to add multiplayer. Oh, and we're going to add these collectible NFTs built on the blockchain and stuff. And I'm, I was just like, why are you adding this stuff in here? Like, I feel like it needs to have a reason. And I don't know, would, would you agree with that? Like, do you feel like you need to solve a problem by adding the, the blockchain in or Am I just missing something? Because usually when I like I look at Candy Crush, so I'm not going to clone Candy Crush, uh, but I'm going to look at what problems do the players that by all accounts should be playing Candy Crush, but aren't, what problems are they having with it? Um, and Homescapes figured that out, right? It was, well, playing Candy Crush was meaningless to me. Playing level after level of just like ascending endlessness, there's no purpose. There's no why. So we give them a why, which is you play these levels, as many as Candy Crush, but after each one, you collect these stars that allow you to rebuild this mansion. It's like more of a why. It's like you, you solve the real problem and you move forward. So I feel like play to earn or blockchain or whatever, if you're going to throw it in, it needs to solve a real problem, at least for me. I don't know. What, what's your take on that? So uh, I think it does solve a problem of, of getting funding, basically. <laughs> so it's, it's much easier <laughs> for sure. Like there is amount, a, a big amount of money that is unrational now going in and, and you know, with, with, I don't know, projects that look like a d disaster and they still get funding. You know, I'm not sure what's going on, honestly, but it seems like it's uh, uh, like irrational. And uh, that could be a symptom of the of the bull run, you know, going in, all the prices coming in. There's a lot of money there. It could be something like that. But I, I agree with you. Like you, you shouldn't just put uh, 
blockchain into anything and you know let's try to make it work i think that's a recipe for uh, disaster uh, although i think because there is an opportunity now to raise funds uh, if you have a blockchain thing so it might make sense to try to create thing that utilizes the blockchain that utilizes nfts very well you know this is the best way to, to go it's not like okay this is what i like to play let me try to cramp it in with 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 blockchain and nft and let's see how it goes i don't think that's the way to go and and honestly like an advice is that the the more limited the scope is the better mm. because you're trying to deal with a with a you know a, a beast of a task <laughs> that is nfts you know and blockchain and technology and the marketing there is by the way it's completely different than what we're used to in free to play games Mm-hmm. The marketing is completely different. It's pure like raw gorilla stuff on the internet going on, and you know, paying influencers, paying Twitter account things like that. So it's, and I, I'm sure there is a lot of market manipulation, sweeping floors. You know, so the 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 the, the easier the project is, the more limited it is in scope. I think the better. Uh, you know, something that is fundamentally has strong gameplay loop very understandable, very easy to, to, you know, comprehend with the economy, uh, limited number of resources, limited, you know, mechanics and things like that. I think these are the projects that will be winners, you know, going forward. Mm. Do you think that play to earn could be any genre? Like if I wanted to clone Royal Match and make it play to earn, could I, could I do that? What would that look like? Uh, it would look like one of those games that is, you know, try to make money on the mobile, which is, you know, you end up making like 20 cents <laughs> by playing all day, you know, things like that, that doesn't really, you know, hit the mark, basically. Uh, I think everything, you know, saying everything could work. No, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, there is a lot of room of, of, of things we can do, but we need things that, you know, like uh, uses... I don't know. Like I, I think the more games, the the, the 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 more a game depends on the economy, the easier it would be for it to, you know, fit into that blockchain NFT type of environment. I think so. Mm. Simple games like uh, Match Three and things like that. It's hard. MMO fits perfectly, you know, almost like perfectly, mm-hmm. easily. A game like Diablo, you said it like it fits so easily. So yeah. Yeah, I was thinking like collectible card games fits very easily. Um, you know, like basically we've been doing this with magic for years now, right? You buy the physical cards. You don't typically buy them just to like acquire value with the hope of selling them. But, um, some cards are super rare and you get them rather you, you buy the cards, you play the game because you love playing with your friends and building those relationships and stuff. But you also do acquire some value within the cards that you do, you know, occasionally find and stuff there too. Um, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So, so kind of final question here before our unofficial question, I guess. Um, and, and that is, you know, for folks that are really thinking about starting their own studio, like what advice would you have for them having, you know, done it several times over the last, what, eight, 10 years? Uh, so yeah, like, uh, I, I think it's like finding the, 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 the founding partners, I think is the most important thing. Uh, I had like an issue with that before and, you know, I learned that, you know, having a very strong partner that would, you know, complement your skill set is an excellent thing to have. It would, you know, save the company so much uh, in the future or going forward. And, you know, having a very solid and clear idea to start things with, like, it's it's not good to just jump 
on the bandwagon, you know, and, and, and starting something, not knowing exactly the, the edges of the thing that you're trying to design for. I think having a very strong idea, having a very solid plan to start off with uh, is definitely a plus, definitely a plus. That's great. Love it. Cool. Uh, well, you know, final question, because it is the Mastering Retention Podcast, of course, and that is, you know, what's one tip or trick you found over the years to increase player retention? Like, how do you keep your players playing for longer? So a trick to keep players uh, retained. So I, th- I think over, over the years, like the, the, the features that had the most impact was mostly social features. So and anything that has social feature, as simple as chat or uh, guilds, or clans and alliances, you know, usually that will always have the biggest impact on, on retention for us, or at least the mm-hmm. games that we, we try to work on. Yeah, I think I think that would be like the, the, the best thing to do, you know, just adding chat. It's the yeah. easiest way to do it. Yeah, definitely. I would agree, I would agree with that. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I played Clash of Clans for something like five years and Clash Royale for probably like the same thing. And what kept me around was being in my clan and my guild. And it's like, why? Well, dang, I got to log in today and at least do my clan battle. Otherwise they're going to, you know, I'm yeah. letting them down. I don't want to do that. And um, we got these like relationships with these, uh, you know, other players that we formed by playing together for years. Um, so I love that. Social features. <laughs> Let your players yeah, I know, I know it's very broad. <laughs> I think, well, yeah, it's probably true. You know, anything maybe up to like day 30, it's probably not going to be social, but like anything after like day 30 or especially after day 90 is going to be like social related because like if you're not connected to the people in the game, you know, eventually you're just going to quit and not come back. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I love it. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if folks do have, you know, any questions for you or uh, want to learn more about, you know, Alluvium, um, is there a good way for them to reach out to you? Sure. So I'm I'm mostly on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter as of recently. You know, the, I think I'm a bit of a boomer, you know, when it comes to socials. <laughs> so I'm I'm on Twitter, uh, klrumi uh, underscore, and on LinkedIn, Khaled Rumi. Uh, so feel free to contact me on, or if you have any questions or any, I don't know. Love yeah. it. Sounds Always good. Open. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.